Lord, we are here, your church, waiting for many of those promises which have been paid for already by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for them to fully come to fruition. And so, Lord, as we wait, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. And Lord, that we would rely on your word and that as your word is proclaimed right now, Lord, I pray that it would be a word that would strengthen us as we wait for you because you are faithful and your word is true. So I pray that as your word washes over your people, it would strengthen her. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 8. 2 Chronicles chapter 8. Today we come to the end of the high watermark, the, the reign of the son of David, Solomon. It was the high watermark of Israel, the most glorious days of God's people. It was a time of glory and peace and rich joy which came from the hand of the Lord. It was a lovely success for which to give God thanks and praise. Now it is, these words were first spoken over God's people when they were in shame, in shambles, sitting in the middle of rubble as their kingdoms had been destroyed by the nations of the earth which had ruled over them in cruel ways. And they learned that this was because of their sin against the Lord. And they too had the words of God, words of promises of a future glory, of a, of a reign over them by the son of David, a reign which would be glorious and peaceful and joy, joyful and restful and beautiful. And they too were waiting on the promises of the Lord God to come true. And these words that we have of 2 Chronicles 8 and 9, in fact, all of 2 Chronicles were God's word for them to secure their hope, to let them know that their hope was not in vain, that what God had promised, he will certainly do because he had done it in the past. And so today we're going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 8 and 9. And these passages, these chapters end with the remarkable words, and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. It was a dynasty established, a throne that endured. God promised this to Israel, which would depend on the son of David. And it endured. God's steadfast love, he was proving, was enduring. And so we're going to look today at remarkable descriptions of life inside the most glorious reign, the most glorious generation, the most sweet time to be part of the people of God and Israelite. This is good for us to do, dear brothers and sisters, because this world is and is not our home. It will be transformed when the Lord Jesus Christ, the great and final son of David, comes in power and glory. This world will be renewed and restored. So Solomon's reign will merely be an illustration of, a good and apt illustration, but just a sketch of the real life and delight and glory that awaits those who belong to Solomon's great son. These were real events 
on the earth that we are going to read about, which the people of God really did enjoy. And so too is our hope real. If it is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the great and final son of David, it will not be less real than the glories of Solomon, but just as real. It will be just as touchable and just as tasteable and just as feelable. This is a preview of our hope in the son of David, a preview and a down payment of the promise that we have. And we need this. We need this preview because of the corruption of the world that we live in. The powers and instability are ever before us of this world. It is unstable. The injustice, the the pain and worry and the want and the shame where the church is shamed and right is wrong and wrong is right and up and down, down and down is up. So brothers and sisters, we can get so discouraged without a deep breath of the air of the kingdom of the son of David. This is not all that there is. This world as it is, is not our home. It will be renewed and restored. Christ is Lord and he will return to judge the living and the dead as king to bring the reward to his people, which he earned for them and to bring the judgment of those not his people, which they earned by their sin. To usher in the sweet oxygen of paradise, which Solomon's reign was just a mere perfume sample of. And so today, right now, we're going to take a look at Solomon's glory and fill our lungs with the air of the kingdom of the son of David. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 8, and we're going to read 8 and 9. At the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, Solomon rebuilt the cities that Hiram had given to him and settled the people of Israel in them. And Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and took it. He built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the store cities that he built in Hamath. He also built Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon, fortified cities with walls and gates and bars. And Balath and the, all the store cities that Solomon had and all the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites who were not of Israel, from their descendants who were left after them in the land whom the people of Israel had not destroyed. These Solomon drafted as forced labor, and so they are to this day. But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves for his work. They were soldiers and his officers, the commanders of his chariots and his horsemen. And these were chief officers of King Solomon, 250 who exercised authority over the people. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house that he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not live in the house of David, king of Israel, for the places to, uh, to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. Then Solomon offered up burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which, or that he had built before the vestibule. As the duty of each day required offering according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the three annual feasts, the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, the feast of booths. According to the ruling of David, his father, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their service and the Levites for their offices 
and praise and ministry before the priests as the duty of each day required and the gatekeepers in their divisions at each gate. For so David, the man of God had commanded and they did not turn aside from what the king had commanded and the, the priests and Levites concerning any matter concerning the treasuries. Thus was accomplished all the work of Solomon from the day the foundation of the Lord, the house of the Lord was laid until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. Then Solomon went to Ezion Geber and Eloth on the shore of the sea in the land of Edom and Hiram sent to him by the hand of his servants ships and servants familiar with the sea. And they went to Ophir together with the servants of Solomon and brought from there 450 talents, 75 pounds, of gold and brought it to King Solomon. Sorry, each talent is 75 pounds. 450 of those. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. Having a very great retinue and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I had heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the report until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told to me. You, super, you surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your wives. Happy are these your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever. He has made you king over them that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. There were no spices such as those that the queen of Sheba gave to the king to King Solomon. Moreover, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir, brought algamwood and precious stones, and the king made from the algamwood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Lyres also, and harps for the singers. There never was seen like them before in the land of Judah. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired and whatever she asked besides what she had brought to the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, which the explorers and the merchants brought and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of beaten gold went into each shield. And when he made three, and sorry, and he made 300 shields of beaten gold, 300 shekels of gold went into each, of, into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps 
and a footstool of gold, which were attached to the throne. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. While 12 lions stood there, on one, one on each end of a step of, on the six steps. Nothing like it was ever made for any kingdom. All Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present. Articles of silver and of gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules. So much year by year. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots. 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. And, all, and the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of Shephelah. And horses were imported for Solomon from Egypt and from all lands. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon from first to last, are they not written in the history of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Silonite and in the visions of Edo, the seer considering Jeroboam the son of Nebat? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Thus far the word of the Lord. Our first point is this, the last and great son of David perfects and fulfills what the first accomplished. The last and great son of David perfects and fulfills what the first accomplished. What we want to see here first is that Solomon here is the covenant head of Israel. Solomon was the head of Israel to represent them to God. By his actions, Israel is going to rise or fall. And so it is with the final son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. God would use Christ's wisdom and righteousness to secure the glory and hope and joy and peace of his people. And so like Israel's eyes in the chronicler's words are need to be focused on the son of David for their rising of their future kingdom. Our eyes are not to be focused on ourselves. Not how well we can keep the word of God. Not what kind of a kingdom we could establish, but on what kingdom the son of David would establish. All these things came from God through the reign of Solomon. The son of David and the chronicler wants them to know this. And so our hope, brothers and sisters, is not that we reign. Not that we could do a better job or as good of a job as Solomon. We're not trying to repeat Solomon's success by repeating Solomon's reign. We can't do that. Our hope is not that we reign. Israel's hope is not that they reign, but that the son of David would reign. Our hope for a future and joy is in Jesus' reign and in the Lord Jesus Christ's ability to reign. 
And so brothers and sisters, what a joy and relief this is. I am not sovereign, not even close. I cannot rule. I look at the news and I hear of the events that are happening or may be happening around the world. I hear of world powers and big companies and bad motivations. And because I'm not sovereign, I can tend to get dismayed. It makes me worry about these people flexing power and making people do things that they might not want to do. What might happen? What could be lost if these people get their way? What could be lost if they fail? We have peace right now in this land, but will it be lost? Will we always know peace? Will our children know peace? We have an abundance of food and we have a place to live, but will it always be like that? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God, omnipotent, reigneth. As Solomon's reign began with a, a, a dismissal of honor and glory in favor of wisdom and the good of his people, but then exploded into glory and honor, so too will the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But unlike Solomon's, his kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. I wonder if you noticed how the Queen of Sheba referred to Solomon's throne in in verse 9 of chapter 8, it says, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever. He has made you king over them that you may execute justice and righteousness. So the question is, is asked, does Solomon reign on David's throne or on God's throne? And the answer is yes, both. There would one day be a king from the line of David who would not only be a son of David, but also be the son of God as well. God's eternal son. God the son who would one day take on human flesh. He would join the family of men. He would join the household of David to fulfill what Solomon and all the sons of David were unable to do fully. Solomon was the high watermark. Nobody got that high in terms of the son of David, the sons of David. But the Lord Jesus Christ would fulfill what they did in part. And I wonder if you noted the gifts that were brought by these foreign dignitaries, the nations to the son of David. Did you notice gold was brought? Did you notice myrrh was brought and other spices? In Matthew's gospel, when we read of the birth of Christ, Matthew is screaming at us. He's very jealous to draw our attention to what happened with Hiram, king of Tyre, and all these nations and the queen of Sheba being brought these treasures, gold and frankincense and myrrh being brought to the son of David to show that he doesn't just reign over Israel. He reigns to the ends of the earth. This is the son of David now that we draw our attention to. When we think of the most glorious reign of a son of David, no longer, Matthew says, by drawing our attention to these wise men from the east in their visit, he's saying no longer look to Solomon, the son of David, as the most great and glorious son of David. You now look to the Lord Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, to Joseph and, and Mary. 
The son born to Joseph, son of David, is the son to end, of all, to end all sons of David. So the glory of Solomon, which drew people from other nations because of the immense, the, the amount of wisdom and glory, this would be a mere taste of the glory of this son of David. As we look at Matthew's gospel account and this account of the visits of Hiram and, uh, and the queen of Sheba, God is telling us to look at this son who took on flesh. To take up that mantle of responsibility to represent the people before God, to stand in their place, to obey the law on behalf of them. So that by the success of his righteousness, if he would have any, his whole people would be blessed. But death will not end Jesus' reign. Church, this is your Messiah. Your son of David. If you repent of sin and entrust yourself to his reign and his care and his salvation. That brings us to our second point is that the son of David's reign reaches the nations. The son of David's reign reaches the nation. So the son of David, Solomon, he's king of Israel. He was the heir to David's throne, the, the king reigning on the throne of Israel, not the thrones of the Philistines or the people of Sheba or the people of Tyre. No, those false gods were not gods. They were merely statues. And Solomon did not fulfill the prophecies of those nations. No, he was the fulfillment of the prophecies made to the God of Noah the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David. That God is the God who created the heavens and the earth. And he is the God of Israel. Solomon was the king of that people who belonged to God. But I wonder, though he is the king of that people, his reign reaches the nations. It doesn't stop at the border. The king of Tyre, good old Hiram, the queen of Sheba, perhaps of the land that is currently Yemen. Dignitaries, sovereigns, monarchs coming under the blessing of the son of David. The queen of Sheba hears of his fame, which has reached very far into her land. And she comes to see if it were true. She comes to be blessed by his wisdom and delight. And to her delight, she sees that it is more glorious and more beautiful than she had heard. She is breathless. She brings in treasure. And as she's bringing treasure from her nation, she's showing deference to the son of David. I may be queen, but you're the king of queens. And she essentially bows to him by giving these gifts. And I wonder if she knows that if you notice that she gains as a result of her visit. You notice she becomes more rich because of her visit, even though she brings great treasure to the son of David. Anything she desired, she received out of the greatness of the son of David. Solomon and Hiram, king of Tyre, they worked together in merchant seafaring, sending treasures into the far reaches of the world and coming back with treasures unique to those lands. Apes and algamud and peacocks, things distinct that were not known in Israel, but now they're coming in. The glories of those kingdoms are now being brought into the land of Israel. 
Solomon's throne is for the good of Israel. His reign is to provide justice and righteousness and even beauty. See how glorious his throne is, but it is for the good of his people. His throne is this judgment seat that he would reign in righteousness over his people. It was a blessing because to Israel because it extended into the nations. The kings of Arabia brought gold to the son of David, showing deference and obeisance to him. They were essentially calling Solomon Lord. We are lords, but you are Lord of lords. So those nearby nations and peoples that did not willingly submit to Israel and to her God were now no longer left to do whatever they wished. No longer influencing Israel to worship idols and to turn to wickedness and injustice. These people were made forced to bring God's promises to fruition. These people were made to accomplish the work of the son of David, whether they liked it or not, they worked for his purposes. All the peoples of the world were under the sovereignty of the son of David to accomplish God's will and to fulfill promises that he had made to his covenant people. There was no viable opposition to the son of David. Now I wonder if you realize what sweet words that would have been to the people of Israel just returned from exile, hearing of their previous glories. To hear of the former glory of Israel. Because now as they heard these words, they were a byword. They were an insult. It was a shame to the nations around them. They were mocked and they were under great threat. They were the ones paying tribute to foreign kings. And the Lord was promising them a future glory, which would exceed even Solomon's glory. And God is promising them. He's demonstrating, I've done this before. I can do it again. And this, we could sum up this promise that he is making to them by drawing their attention here you might say that he's letting them know that his very great and precious promises were not hindered by the nations around them, but actually were advanced by those nations, even the nations that didn't love the king of Israel. God would use the reign of the son of David to bless those nations that would submit to his reign. So brothers and sisters, this is not just a sweet Word to the returned exiles in Israel. This is also a sweet word to us. A needed word to a people experiencing shame and pain and uncertainty. Living in a world that often feels like shifting and sinking sand. We too are the people of the Messiah. We too are the people of the son of David. Whose reign over and for his people isn't hindered by any powers or any rulers of any nations. It's not hindered by the rulers of our own pagan nation, nor the pagan nation to the south of us or to the east or to the west, not pagan nations far off, not near rulers, not far rulers. The Lord God who took on flesh to become the son of David, he reigns omnipotent 
all-powerful. He also builds a temple and a people. This is his church, those bought with his own blood. And he does this from the nations. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking about his power over Satan. This is what he says in Matthew 12, 29. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Brothers and sisters, the strong man in that little parable is Satan who has lived in the past as though he were the king of the kings of the earth. And we see that the Lord Jesus Christ through his earthly, earthly ministry, he demonstrated authority over Satan. He crushed him. He made a fool of Satan. And with just his words, the demons fled. And his ministry has put Satan in a, merc- in a merciless place, powerless. And now Jesus plunders the nations, plunders them, taking treasure out of the nations. Why? to build up his kingdom, to build up his temple, taking treasures from the nations like the treasures brought from Sheba and Tarshish and Philistia and Arabia, gold and precious jewels. Isaiah as well. He's going to talk about the reign of the future son of David and how he's going to take treasure from the nations. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness for the peoples, the nations. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, and they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because of the abundance of the sea shall be returned to you. And the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall come to you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Keter shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaoth shall minister and they shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my house. Now, what is the treasure? The precious gold and, and gems, the treasures of the nations with which Jesus, the great son of David, beautifies his temple. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 is going to tell us. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens talking to the nations, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit the people who believe in the Lord Jesus from all nations, they are the treasure pouring in from the nations. And he uses his sovereignty over these nations to build his temple and nothing can stop him. In 1 Peter 
Peter continues this. As you come to him, 1 Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians about this temple being built by the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. He too is going to talk about gold and precious gems. 1 Corinthians 3.10 According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire that tests what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is built up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know? that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We take these words of the chronicler and the words of Isaiah and the words of Matthew and the words of Peter and the words of Paul and the words of Jesus and we see that the precious jewels and gold pouring in from the nations will make up the covenant people of the, the Messiah. The people that he has bought at a priceless cost, which is his own life. Hiram, king of Tyre, was blessed by the son of David's reign, but he talked about Israel's God as your God. As Solomon's God. Sheba, when, the queen of Sheba, when she's talking to Solomon, she talks to Solomon and she says, you're God. Not so those treasures coming in from the nations through the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, precious jewels, the gold and silver pouring in from the nations, making up the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We no longer say to Solomon, you're God. We say, our God. Brothers and sisters, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ extends to the end of the earth. In Matthew, we read that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to this son of David. And that means that every decision and every action by every national leader is under Christ's sovereign control to accomplish his purposes for his people. To build this temple out of forgiven sinners and to remove their shame, to remove their sin, and to turn them into precious jewels bearing his name and his own glory. And he will protect them. Think of the power of Solomon and his cities, that he just had cities for his chariots 
Think of the power that he exerted over the kings of the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in 1 Corinthians, will guard his temple, his people, with a fierce and terrifying vengeance. It was suicide to come against Solomon and his people and his temple that he built for the Lord. That would have been suicide. No one, even if they wanted to, would dare do it. But that would be child's play compared to the current son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, do not be jealous of them. And do not fear them. They are currently under the son of David's perfect power. And even though they're, and even through their wicked decisions, precious treasure is coming in from the nations that, that they think they reign over. It's pouring into the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. They rage thinking they're defying the son of David, but he laughs at them. And when he comes in glory, they will be put to shame and open destruction. But Christ's bride, now living in shame, his beloved people will share in a glory and splendor which will make Solomon's look like a trinket. And the temple he builds will, and he will present to his father will be so stunning that it will leave everyone breathless. And the church, the sinners redeemed by his blood, none of them deserving, they will weep tears of joy and rejoice that he has made out of them wicked, vile sinners. He has made it of something so glorious and so beautiful that it will make everyone breathless. And you, dear brothers and sisters, aware of the wickedness that your sin has, is toward the Lord, and of your, uh, your unworthiness, you need to know that you are that temple. And he is your king and your brother and your head. We need to meditate and delight on the fact that he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Not just because he deserves that praise, but we need to give him that praise because it is food for our souls. His reign is for the glory of God and the good of his people. Remember, it is because the Lord loves his people that he makes the son of David the king of kings. And he is making a people for himself, a temple for himself, reigning over the nations and the treasure coming in from Yemen and Tyre and Winnipeg and Colombia and Guatemala and Russia, and China, and Kazakhstan, and Germany, and Ireland, and Scotland, and Jamaica, and Holland, and Haiti, and Brazil, and Mexico, and Peru, and Cat Lake. The son of David is not merely a good foreign king to us. He is our king. And we are his temple and his dwelling place, where his presence can be known and enjoyed as we bow the knee to him. That brings us to our third point, and that's this, the Glory of the temple radiates beauty, wisdom, and peace to all areas of life. One of the things that we need to see, and the chronicler keeps putting in this in, we've already finished the section on the temple. Now we're on the section of the glory and wealth of Solomon and the beauty of Solomon, except the chronicler keeps talking about the temple. 
I thought we were talking about Solomon's wealth and glory. No, we're going to talk about the temple. Everything is about the temple here. You notice that? He can't stop bringing it back to the temple. And the point is this. All the glory and beauty and majesty and peace and security that Israel would ever, ever experience for the reign of the son of David, it radiates from what would be accomplished in the temple. Their sins forgiven because blood was shed for them. This is the priority. This is our hope for future glory. Not just that we have a king who reigns righteously. Because if all he did was reign righteously, if the Lord Jesus Christ first came in glory, his kingdom would be glorious, but empty. First, our hope of that future glory was that he would first die for our sins to make us righteous so that we could enjoy that glory that is to come. And that is our confidence. Not that we deserve it. Not that we ourselves are glorious. Not that we ourselves are wise. Not that we ourselves are beautiful. But that our sins have been atoned for. From the temple that the Lord Jesus Christ established. And that temple was not made with human hands. That temple was his own body. The sacrifice was his own body. And then he builds his temple He extends his temple. He adds on to his temple by adding to his body. And who is it that he adds to his body? Those who believe in his name. Those who repent of their sin and trust in him are added to his body and his his temple is extended because of the sacrifice that he offered in their place. Solomon's temple did not last forever. His throne crumbled. And that brings us to our fourth point. The glorious structure shows cracks immediately. Solomon's glory, it it was a glory that did not last forever. Now God did not give up on that promise. He said, I will destroy Israel. I I will punish the son of David, but I will not give up that covenant. I will bring another son of David. If he sins and he's destroyed and his people punished, I'll bring another one. But there's a difference. We see already these cracks. I wonder if you noticed that there was some, 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 some notes in here that were kind of dissonance. They sounded bad. Do you notice that when the queen of Sheba said, happy are your servants? Okay, that's good. Happy are your wives. Pl- plural? There we already see a break in the commands of God. We already see a crack there. Did you notice why Solomon had to build an extra house for his, uh, his queen from Egypt? Because she wouldn't worship the Lord God. She hated God. And well, you can't have a a God hater close to the temple. And so he what? He builds a palace for her outside, far away from the temple. We see this wickedness of Solomon. Another crack that you might not have noticed is that note right near the end, where did Solomon get horses from and chariots? Where did he get them from? Egypt. No big deal. Who cares? Well, it wouldn't be a big deal Unless in Deuteronomy, the kings of Israel were forbidden from getting chariots and horses from Egypt. Deuteronomy 17, 16, talking about the future king, because it was future at this point. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. 
since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. This was Israel's great temptation. They had the Lord, their God as their king, and they were constantly tempted. They were rescued from slavery in Egypt. They were constantly tempted to, maybe it was better. Maybe it was better to be slaves of Pharaoh and they kind of had stuff that we don't have now and maybe it would be better. This was constantly Israel's temptation. And Solomon fell to that temptation. And remember as their representative, as the king, as that son of David, if he fell, the whole nation would fall with him. But the great son of David did did not fall to temptation. He was offered the kingdoms of the world without suffering, but he refused. Dear brothers and sisters, our future, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ had no cracks, no sin, no shadow of turning anywhere in it because in addition to being the son of David, he was also the son of God. And that means our future rests secure, not because we have no sin, but because he had no sin. The grass withers, the flowers fail, the nations rise and the nations fall. Kings of the earth rage and they beat their chests. The billionaires chuckle on their super yachts, which will soon rot and rust and find themselves in ship graveyards, if not at the bottom of the sea. Your house will crumble that isn't already. Your bank accounts and investments will not preserve your life. Your beauty will fail. Your country will eventually fall to another foreign country. But we are citizens of a greater kingdom. And there are no cracks in that kingdom that can be exposed by pressure, being taken advantage of. And our king will reign forever and ever. And the glory and peace and joy in our God, which was paid for with his blood, will last for as long as he is worthy and as long as he shall live. Solomon's bones, if they're still intact, are in the ground. And if not, they're part of the ground. But his greater son rose from the dead on the third day. Why? Because the grave could not hold him. Death had no claim on him because he was perfectly sinless and perfectly righteous. And he will come one day to leave everyone breathless. Those who did not turn to him in faith will be breathless and shamed, but his bride who trusted in him will be lost for words because of joy. And he will come to execute justice. He will give people as they deserve unless they trusted in him. And then he will give them as he deserves. And we will dwell in the house of God forever to enjoy the relationship that he deserves with God for as long as he deserves it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that not that we reign or we are powerful, not that even in your strength that we can do these things, but that you have given us a son of David who did these things for us. So Lord, I pray that you would put again our hope 
in this son of David, who is also the son of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are grateful, Lord, that we are now the temple of this Messiah, that you have bound the strong men and you have plundered his kingdoms and you have brought in treasure from all these nations. And we are that temple. Not precious because of what we have done, but precious because of the cost that has purified us and made us a temple. We were not loved because we were beautiful, Lord, but you will beautify us because of your love. Lord, I pray that we would have confidence that you reign over the kings of the earth. And they, even if they don't love you, cannot help with every decision they make to have your temple grow and people added to your kingdom, which will endure. Lord, we are grateful that your steadfast love endures forever and that our son of David lives to reign forever. We pray that you do these things and and shape our confidence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.